Amen. If you're visiting today, it's your first time here at Victory. We're so honored to have you. Thank you for taking the time uh, to come. Brother Richard has his mom with him, I believe. And so from here in Indiana. And so her pastor was my pastor whenever I was a teenager. My family was part of a church that he planted in Wood River, Illinois, uh, way back in the early 80s. And so, uh, and so that, that's a, an interesting connection. And so you don't see too many people from Marion, Indiana coming down to this part of the world. But when they do... It's generally during this time of the year. <laughs> and so she left behind about 13 degree weather, I think she said. And, <clears throat> and so, but it's great to have you. Hope you have a wonderful visit uh, during Thanksgiving. We do have a number of folks that are traveling already for the holiday. And so remember to keep them in prayer. Others uh, will be traveling this week. And then of course, back on the weekend or early into next week. And so it just kind of goes with the season. And so be mindful. Uh, folks, if you if you miss them being around, reach out and just let them know you're praying for them. But uh, but we do have a number of folks that are traveling, and so we will miss them while they're gone. Hope they have a great time while they're away. Uh, Matthew chapter number five this morning. We'll continue on our our series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and I think the first sub series of this is on the Beatitudes, and so we're shifting uh, to the second half of the Beatitudes this morning. <clears throat> And so we're looking uh, this morning at the principle of reciprocity. Now, that title may not make a lot of sense to you right now, but it will in just a minute. Uh, and so we're going to begin reading here. And uh, our focus this morning is verse number seven. We'll spend the majority of our time dealing with that. We'll, we will look at another passage or two, but not too many this morning. Uh, but we're going to read the first 12 verses as our custom with this series on the Beatitudes to just establish and put them uh, all back in our mind and in our heart, on our heart as we approach the Lord this morning. Verse number one, chapter five, the Gospel of Matthew. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And again, this morning, we're going to look here at verse number seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy as we consider the principle of reciprocity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you that we can come together and worship you, that we can lift up our needs in prayer. Uh, Lord, before you, I pray that you be with this service, be with the children's service in the back as well. Lord, I pray that hearts would be ministered to and spoken to. If there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted you as their Savior, I pray today. Lord, they would be drawn to you, that they would fall under conviction for their sin, and that they would repent and that they would turn receiving Christ as their Savior. Lord, others that perhaps are, <clears throat> are struggling, 
uh, in their walk with you, that may you restore them today. Lord, may you call our attention to areas in which we need to grow, areas in which we perhaps need to confess sin and to forsake it, that we might be drawn even closer to your presence, that we might be used by your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would just do that work in our heart this morning. I think of Jonathan and Stephanie Hernandez and their family in the Amazon. Lord, I pray that you would be with them, be with their doctors. I pray that you would give them wisdom, that you'd provide for their needs, and that you would, Lord, encourage them uh, as they go through a long period and process of healing. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for the love that's been poured out to them from their supporting churches as well as their church there and their people that they've been working with now for many years in the Amazon Basin. Lord, thank you for their faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that you would use this in a, in a way that will help uh, to further the gospel in that area and with the people that they work with so faithfully. Lord, again, we ask that you'd be with the message this morning. Speak to our hearts. May we focus and put in our hearts what you have for us now. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we've looked through these first four of the Beatitudes, what we've witnessed is as, uh, as Jesus now begins to speak, and just a, a reminder, he's, he's laying out his, his plan for ministry. He's essentially calling this group of people together. They're on the hillside. He's assembled some of the disciples. He is uh, early in ministry, and he's laying out what we would call today our vision for what we would like to see happen or take place. But as God, he's just essentially telling them what's going to happen. Uh, and so he, he's here and he's, and he's springing forth. Listen, I'm here. I'm the Messiah. This is the plan. This is how I'm going to go about it. This is what it's going to accomplish. And what we've seen in the first four is Jesus essentially communicating to them, I'm coming to draw all men unto me. I'm coming that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'm coming that I might save you from your sin. And he then begins to teach and to instruct when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that, that we're seeing those that understand and see that they have a need for God. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It essentially just means that I become aware of the need. Brother Fernando expressed that uh, about the German people that they've been working with and will be working with. And, and, you know, some societies and cultures are more open. It's a little bit easier to get people to see their need. Uh, other areas, it's more difficult. But the problem is the same. And the need is the same. If I don't understand that I need the Lord Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter how much you tell me about him. It doesn't matter how well you present him. It doesn't tell me, it doesn't matter how fervent, how zealous, how uh, sincere you are in communicating the message. Now, all of those things might help me understand that I have a need. I'm not discounting them. I'm simply saying that if I don't understand that I have a need, I'm not going to get anything from this. If you're here this morning as a guest or a member of Victory Baptist Church and your mindset is, I'm here because of, excuse me, because I'm supposed to be, but pastor's really not going to give me anything that I need this morning, I guarantee you, you will go home today without having received anything. Because if I don't understand that I have a need, you say, well, pastor, what if I don't know what my need is? Well, that's the beauty of just coming in connection with the Lord and his people because the Holy Spirit has an amazing way of revealing to us what our needs are uh, if we'll just open our hearts and allow him to. Uh, and so, but he's, he's laying out here as he speaks to the multitude, blessed are you when you become poor in spirit because you understand that you need who and what I am. 
Jesus communicates. And he says, blessed are they that mourn. It's not talking about a perpetual state of mourning. He's not talking about going down with our head hung in, in sorrow. He's talking about coming to a place where I understand that I need Christ because of the sin in my life that overwhelms me and I'm broken about my sin. There's a brokenness about me. There is a, there's a godly sorrow that comes on my heart and my life. And then he says that we, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. What is he expressing here? He's talking about our submission to the will of God, to the person of God, to, to the power of God. And he's just simply saying, God, I see that I have a need for you. And then because I understand and see who and what you are, my need is identified. I'm broken over my sin and I am submitted to you as my God. You are my Lord. You are my King. You are my Savior. Then he said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. It's amazing how uh, much better a meal is when you're actually hungry. Uh, it's, it's amazing how uh, much you look forward to with anticipation a meal as it's being prepared and as you smell the food coming forth and it's Thanksgiving week. I'm already looking forward to the early morning hours of Thursday because when I wake up probably by about 6 o'clock, maybe by about 5 or 5.30, the aroma of the turkey and the oven will be seeping under every door. Uh, by that time of the morning. It generally goes in the oven. It's a big bird. I talked about it last week. Uh, I, I, have, I, have, I have to say I haven't visited it too many times in the freezer this week, uh, like I talked about last week. But, uh, but I, I might this afternoon. Uh, but I'm, I'm, and I know she'll, she'll get it out on Tuesday, and she'll let it start thawing, and then it'll get seasoned, and then she'll wake me up at about 3 o'clock on Thursday, um, Thursday morning uh, to go uh, lift the, the, the bird and put it in the oven. And then by the time we're actually getting up and it's almost done cooking, the whole house just smells like the Thanksgiving turkey. Generally, bacon is what I want to smell in the morning, but on Thanksgiving, turkey works. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to uh, the process of it and spending time with our children and grandchildren and uh, some other extended perhaps friends and family and, and we're just look forward to that and anticipate it like you do. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Am I hungry for God? Am I hungry for God's word? Am I hungry for a relationship with him? Am I looking for something that's more than just going through the motions of, 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 of religion? And am I looking for a genuine, real, personal, powerful relationship with Christ? If I am, he'll fill me. And if I'm not, I'll be filled on myself in the things of this world. You, we're not going to go hungry. I mean, come on now, we're Americans. There are a lot of things that we may go without, but food's not one of them. There aren't too many people in this country that understand and know what it is to truly be hungry. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand how hungry I am. Well, you may not understand how hungry I think I am either, but when you look at my waistline, it tells you that I'm eating pretty well. And so most of us understand, hey, I've got some hunger pains, but it doesn't mean that we're starving. Uh, and so <clears throat> am I hungry? Am I starving for Jesus? Because when I am, he fills me. Now, what is the communicating here? And what we see here in these first four Beatitudes, and these first four attitudes, our attitudes toward Christ, what is it that he's trying to accomplish? And the first four attitudes, we are being brought to God. We are being made aware of him. 
We are being drawn to him. We are being positioned to accept him as our Lord and Savior. And so what we've looked at in these first four is simply our becoming aware of our need and our being drawn to him and the necessity of our, uh, of our godly sorrow and repentance of our sin that, that actually causes us to come to him and say, I have a need. It, you know, to, I mean, there are a lot of people that go out and just say, hey, pray this prayer and you'll go to heaven. But my friends, if there's no understanding that I've got a need, the, uh, uh, you know, a little abracadabra saying is not going to open the doors of heaven to me. It is necessary that I understand that I'm a sinner. Not just flippantly acknowledging, yeah, I've sinned, but understanding I am a sinner. And because of that, I'm separated from God. Till I understand that, I really have no need for Christ. When I become aware of that, I become desperate for Christ. And what we're trying to communicate and what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm giving you and sharing with you these four things that I'm going to address in people's hearts and minds and lives all throughout my ministry to try to make them aware that what they need is not the mechanical ritual sacrifice worship of the temple, but what they need is a personal living relationship with me. Amen. I'm drawing you. Then the second four. The second four begin to reveal to us, and we start on that this morning, the, the transformative power of the Spirit of God in our hearts and lives. God, it, it is, listen, it is not possible for God to transform my heart and there be no outward manifestation of the transformation that's taking place inside me. Now, we live in a time where everybody wants to just think, hey, uh, read your Bible, pray, go to church a couple times a week, and, uh, and, and that's good enough, and that pleases the Lord, and you'll have God's power and God's blessing, and, uh, and uh, just go through the motions, and, and, and be emotional about it so that it seems real, and everything will be great. That's not it. Yeah. It is coming to a place where I realize that I am a desperately wicked sinner in need of a savior. And when I realize that and Jesus Christ changes me from the inside out, that you can begin to see the outward change. Now listen, anybody can outwardly conform. Anyone can be disciplined enough to change their appearance, their behavior, their speech, their, uh, their, their presentation of themselves outwardly, that does not mean that they're spiritual, that they're godly, or that they're saved. But it is impossible to be changed inwardly and to not be, to have an outward change. I, you say, well, Pastor, my, my outward change doesn't look the same as yours. I'm not saying that it has to, but there ought to be something different about you now that's recognizable, that's noticeable to those that know you than there was before the day that you trust in Christ. And so what he's expressing now here as we begin with verse number seven is now that I've seen my need and come to Christ, what is the process of transformation that's taking place? How is Christ that's now in me beginning to emerge from me? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You see, as we've looked through here and we see that Jesus says, now you're going to become like me. How does that start? What does that look like? And it is to be merciful. That's the principle, essentially, of reciprocity. What does that mean? What it means is mutual rights or benefits. If you, uh, if you have a concealed carry permit, one of the things that they stress to you when you went through the class to carry a firearm is that you, when you travel, if you're going to carry your firearm, you better know what states have reciprocity with the state of Texas. 
In other words, uh, I, I have a, a concealed carry permit. I have to know when I travel. Does, does Arkansas or Louisiana or Mississippi, then that's my general trip when I go to my mom's. It's Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and then up into Tennessee. All of those states have reciprocity. In other words, the laws uh, of, of Texas, they recognize and the concealed gun permit and Texas recognizes theirs. So if my, uh, if my family comes from there and they come here, they don't have to have a special permit in Texas to be able, because there's reciprocity. There is a mutual agreement and exchange and understanding. Uh, and so it is, an, it is an, uh, an inclusion of rights or benefits or mutual rights and benefits that can be withheld or enjoyed. So when you talk about uh, like everything else, there's a negative aspect, there's a positive aspect. Uh, mostly what we see here is the positive aspect in a military setting, if you're interrogating, uh, if you're interrogating a, a terrorist, a prisoner of war, then it would be more of a negative connotation. You would withhold rights from them to, uh, to get information from them uh, and make them less comfortable so that they would become willing to talk. And so we're looking here at this principle of reciprocity. Why do you use that term, Pastor? Well, look what he says. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do you want mercy? Be merciful. Do you, do you want a, a, a someone to be, people to be merciful to you, then be merciful to them. Now, what does that mean, really? Listen, becoming like Jesus begins with mercy. Because Jesus extended mercy to us. He was merciful when he put on human flesh and came to us. He was merciful when he reached out to us. He was merciful when he showed his, him his love for us. He's merciful when he went to the cross on our behalf. Do you understand that it should have been us and that our rightful place is to spend an eternity paying for our sin and our offense to God. But Jesus mercifully took our place. So some thoughts about mercy here, just by definition, what does it mean? The word mercy means by definition to treat an offender better than he deserves. So when we talk about someone that I'm going to extend mercy to, I, it's someone that has offended. It's someone that's committed a criminal act. It's someone that's caused me hurt. It's someone that has attacked or defamed me in some way. And my response then is to treat them better than they deserve to be treated. And so mercy uh, is to treat an offender, better, an offender better than he deserves. It is the disposition that tempers justice and introduces an injured person to forgiveness of their trespasses and injuries. And to forgive or to forbear punishment or to inflict less than what justice or rightness would demand. So if I would extend mercy, I would say Pedro has come and committed a crime against me and he stands before the judge and I come as the offended person before the judge and plead for him to get no punishment or a lesser sentence, even though he's wronged me. Now understand, in order for you to be merciful, you must be wronged. It is impossible to show mercy if I have suffered no offense. If you have not, if someone has not committed a crime against me, has not been hurtful to me, has not offended me, has not attacked me in some way, then I cannot show mercy to them. Mercy can only be extended to those that have committed an offense. 
And so God lays out and Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. In other words, you better prepare to be offended. You live in a harsh world. And if you want to live like me, then be merciful. Now that goes against us, most of us. Now there are some people that genuinely have a gift of mercy. There are some people that it is in their nature to always uh, want to make things uh, better or for someone to not fully or suffer the, 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 the reality of what they've earned by their actions. But that's not most of us. Most of us want our pound of flesh. Most of us, when we're wronged, scream for justice. And the greater the offense, the more we want justice. Oh, if it's a little trivial thing, we might be willing to extend some mercy and say, oh, it's not a big deal, just don't worry about it. But if it's a tremendous crime, if a loved one has been murdered, if, uh, if a home has been broken into, uh, if physical harm, a mental and emotional harm have been caused, what do we want? We want justice. We demand justice. You understand that there is the holiness of God in heaven that is demanding justice. And the love of God sent Jesus to extend mercy. But justice had to be satisfied. So Jesus lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, miraculously conceived and birthed, and then went to the cross and became our sin on that cross and paid our debt. Why? So that justice could be served, but mercy could be extended. And so he lays out here just simply with the idea uh, of, of having a disposition that tempers justice. Blessed are the merciful. Someone that has in their, in their, in their way of being, uh, my first response and action isn't, I want my pound of flesh. It's this person may be going through a rough time. What caused them to come to a place where they could do such, commit such a horrible crime? Our attitude toward them is, I want to be merciful to them. And then there are varying degrees. Sometimes you want uh, to show some mercy, but you still want some punishment to take place. With Christ, he bore all of the punishment. So full mercy is extended. Full grace is given. Merciful means simply having or exercising mercy, to be compassionate, to be tender, to be opposed to, attend, uh, to offenders. And our first instinct to be offenders is to forgive the offense, not to seek justice or vengeance. It is to be unwilling to punish for injuries. You understand what I'm saying this morning? If I'm merciful and you injure me, Melanie, my first response is that I want to forgive you. That's not the way most of us are. It's just not in our nature. If somebody hurts me, it's easier for me to be merciful than if they hurt my wife or hurt my grandchildren or hurt my children. It, it, it's easier when it's self, but when it's people that are close to you, what do we want? We want justice. Why? Because justice communicates to her that I love her. Mercy communicates in worldly person's thinking, the opposite. Jesus comes and says, listen, I'm going to transform the way that you think, the way that you worship, the way that you perceive truth. I'm going to show you that I'm coming to fulfill the law that you could never keep. Do you want mercy? Be merciful. Do you want to experience the mercy of God? Be merciful. 
It is to look at a person who wrongs us as the victim and to compassionately come to their aid as they attack us. So wait a minute, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Look at what Jesus did. Whenever they attacked him, whenever they beat him, whenever they wrongfully tried and convicted him, whenever they drove the nails through his arms and his feet, when they hoisted him up on that cross and dropped it into that hole, dislocating the joints of his body. He could have called down the angels to strike them down. But instead he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What did he do? He extended mercy. They don't understand. They don't know. It's, it's an attitude and it's our response of being merciful, a response of looking compassionately at those that are offending us as they're offending us. And rather than seeking justice or their punishment or reciprocity to treat them back in kind, we show them mercy. We show them the mercy that Christ extended us. And showing mercy, we are meeting a need that others have. They may not understand that they have the need. And I'm saying this morning that the mercy of God is having compassion and forgiving those who wrong us, not even if they don't deserve it, but especially when they don't deserve it. Be merciful. I'm going to give you just a, a quick, in this principle, the principle of reciprocity, God will give back to us what we give to others. Hold your place here. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 22. In 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verses 26 and verse 27, David is, is really reciting or writing essentially a psalm here or the equivalent thereof. And he, is, uh, he has been engaged in battle and he is now singing a song of deliverance. And in verses 26 and verse 27, we don't have time to read the whole thing here. He says, with the merciful thou wilt, be, wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright thou wilt show thyself upright. And with the pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward thou wilt show thyself unsavory. In other words, God, if, you sh if I show you that this is the way that I am, then you will help me be what I've predetermined that I'm going to be. If I'm merciful, you'll show me mercy. If I'm pure, you'll help me be pure. If I'm, uh, if I'm, if I'm unsavory, if I'm cruel, then you're going to, if I'm determined, if that's what I'm, then that's the way I'm going to come, I'm going to come out. It's a biblical example, Pharaoh. I don't have time to turn there this morning. But multiple times during the time of the ten plagues, the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. But it also says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, why in the world would God harden Pharaoh's heart? Why would God, how could God in justice and love and mercy harden Pharaoh's heart? It doesn't mean that God forced Pharaoh to have a hard heart. It means that Pharaoh was determined to be hardened against God. And God simply helped him become what he determined he was going to become. May I remind you this morning that the same sun that melts butter hardens concrete. What he's teaching here, what he's sharing here, is that my response to God determines God's response to me. If I respond to God with a tender heart, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, then the heat of God will melt me and soften me and draw me close to him. But if I'm determined to do things my way, to be in my stubborn, bitter, proudful heart, then God is going to simply allow his influence in my life to harden my heart because that's what I've determined that I want to be. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The unmerciful will not receive mercy. Does that mean that God doesn't want to show them mercy? No. It means that God is going to honor what we've determined that we've got our mind and heart set on becoming. And so as he lays out and he says, listen, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I, I've drawn you to me. I've shown you your need. I, I've seen your brokenness. I've honored your submissiveness to my will. I see your longing for me. I've filled you. I've saved you. Now I'm going to transform you. Where does that start? That bitterness, that anger that you have toward Rome, that bitterness, that harshness that you have toward those that don't do things the way that you do them, be merciful to them. And I'll be merciful to you. Three thoughts that I want to point out about, about this principle here. First, who should I be merciful to, Pastor? Well, who is Jesus merciful to? I would say, first of all, be merciful to the poor. Why? Where, everywhere that Jesus went, he was merciful to the poor. So, but, but he went to Matthew and he went to others that were wealthy. He went to fishermen that had a livelihood. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor is not talking about just the financial aspect. Poor is talking about those that are broken. There are a lot of people that live in mansions that have broken lives. There are a lot of people that have tremendous careers, but they've lost their family. There are a lot of people that take their own lives that have everything that money could buy, but they're poor. Be merciful to the poor. Why? Because Jesus was. Everywhere that he went, he went to people that were broken. Everywhere that he went, he reached out to those. And those that were, that were obstinate, those that were there to defy him, that were there to trip him up, they did not receive mercy. At times he spoke harshly to them. On a couple of occasions, he even drove them out of the temple. But those that were poor, he showed mercy to. Those that were longing for him. And I'm saying this morning, just a twofold thought here. Number one, be, be merciful to those who are poor in spirit. Why? Because they recognize their brokenness and they're searching for truth. And when they lash out, listen, hurt people, hurting people hurt people. That person that you go to and that you reach out to that lashes out may be the person that needs you the most. That person that rejects your first overture of grace and of kindness and compassion. You have to understand, in the culture in which we live, they're not used to that. You know what they're used to? They're used to someone treating them that way because that person wants to get something out of them. They're not used to someone coming to them and just trying to offer them genuine love and compassion with, with an expectation of nothing in return. Jesus comes not because we have something that he wants, but because he is everything that we need. Blessed are the merciful. Be merciful to whom, Pastor? To the poor in spirit. Why? Because they're broken and they're hurting. Their lives are in shambles. Their homes are a wreck. They're destitute of hope. What do they need? They need someone to reach out to them and simply communicate that there is a Savior in heaven who has come for you, who is longing to restore you, that can fix everything in your life that's broken, that can set your foot upon a rock, that can lift you out of the miry clay, 
that can do everything for you that you could never do for yourself because that's how much he loves you. But what about if they wrong me? You know, I'm going to go knock on that lady's door again or that man's door again. Uh, they, they, you know, uh, to see if they'll come to church or let their kids come. But last time I was there, they cussed me out. Sometimes it may be better to move on if they're very determined. But if the Holy Spirit guides you to go knock again, go knock again. Yes. Why? Because you don't know what they were going through in that moment. You don't know what kind of news they may have just gotten before you knock. You don't know if they perhaps lost their job or their spouse just left them and they're uncertain about how they're going to pay the rent the next week or, uh, or keep the, uh, the heat on or uh, do those types of things. Be merciful to the poor in spirit. Don't hide behind the excuse of they got what they deserve. That, that's in our DNA, by the way. Even as Christians, you look at someone that they, they, they've been here and they, they've been taught and they know better than to go out and do whatever it is that they've done. What's our first instinct is not to try to seek forgiveness and restoration. Our first reaction oftentimes is, well, they were determined to get that. They just got what they deserved. We may come around and try to help later, but what's that, what's that initial response? See, what Jesus is trying to do is transform who we are. It's not getting the right response eventually. It's, it's intuitively coming to the right response because that's who he's changed us into. Be merciful to the poor. They're broken. Listen, there are people that come into this church every week that have very broken lives and very broken hearts and very broken relationships. And they keep up a brave face and they keep up uh, and they hold everything together because they, uh, they, they're in their dignity and their pride don't want anybody to know what all's going on. And they are searching for something and many times they don't even understand what it is that they're truly searching for. But if they'll feel and accept and experience mercy and compassion and love, Perhaps they'll continue to come until they meet the one that can change everything in their life. Be merciful to the poor in spirit. Be merciful to those that are poor in means. Don't withhold good if it's in the power of your hand to do it. We're limited as to how we can help as a church in benevolence and situations of that nature. We try to take things into consideration. We try to help people that actually come to our church first because our means are very limited. But we, but we spend a significant money of, of the year on our budget uh, to those that are in need. Why? Because sometimes people just fall on hard times and they need some compassion. The, be merciful to the poor. Secondly, be merciful to the poisonous. Who was Jesus merciful to? Those that poisoned him. They poisoned him with their words, with their attacks behind his back, with trying to incite rebellion against him, the Apostle Paul. If you follow and study the Apostle Paul, what you find is that most of the time, whenever riots and problems emerged in the city that he was in, that the problem wasn't the people that were there. The problem are the people or the Jews that followed him from the place that he had just been. What were they doing? They were following behind and they were trying to poison people against him. What I'm saying is be merciful to the poisonous. Be mer I, I appreciate something. We, occasionally we've had uh, someone come and join the church and have said, Pastor, I have to tell you some things about my life and about my past. And, I, and you might find out about it later. And it's just I found that it's better if you know up front. And they're halfway expecting for me to say, well, you can't be a member. Never have I ever said that. 
And they've learned by experience that there's somebody out there that when they find out where they've gone, they're going to come and tell the pastor things about them that may or may not be true. To poison. Be merciful to that person. Be merciful to those that are in need. What poisons us? Well, I, I'm just going to throw, this, this could be a really long list. It could almost be its own series. And, I, and I'm not going to really develop this. I just want to throw this out there as food for thought, try to wrap this up this morning. Be merciful to the poisonous. Listen, some of us are dealing, and some of you are dealing with the poison of a bitter spirit. You can't get peace in your heart and your walk with God and your life with God because you're consumed with bitterness. You're bitter against the kind of pastors that you used to have. Maybe you're bitter against the kind of pastor that you have. You're bitter against a family member or a spouse. You're bitter against a job that you had. You're bitter against uh, an experience that you had. And instead of being merciful and letting it go, well, no one's going to do that to me again. That's, that's me, by the way. I mean, Caleb, if you, if, you, if you come and you hurt me, I'll be kind and I'll forgive. But I'm going to be careful to not give you an opportunity to do it again. I'm not saying that that's the right response. I'm just telling you that's my natural, my, my natural intuitive response is not necessarily to lash out and to attack, but it is that I have strong self-preservation instincts. I'm not going to let you do it to me again. What I'm saying is, is that we need to be merciful to those that are overwhelmed with a bitter spirit. Why? Because a bitter spirit poisons us. It poisons everything about us. That's why the, that, he, uh, that he wrote about in the New Testament to be careful of that root of bitterness because that root gets inside of us and it weaves its way through everything in our lives and it overwhelms who we, who we are and who we become. Be merciful to those that are poisoned with a bitter spirit. Be merciful to those that are poisoned with self-righteousness. Listen, Jesus was... Merciful to those that were embittered against him. And he was merciful to those that were self-righteous. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, when they came, he showed great mercy when he said to about those men that smote him and that crucified him and that orchestrated it behind the scenes, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He, he was not holding bitterness in his heart. He was not crying out to God to execute justice on these men. He was extending mercy. Yes. Who were they? They were cruel. They were hateful. They were doing it because they thought they were serving God. I mean, say what you want to about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Most of them had at least, a, and I get it, they were corrupt and they wanted power and they didn't want to lose influence. But many of them believed the Apostle Paul, chief among them, that he was truly serving the Lord. He was zealously persecuting the church, fully believing that he was serving God. Until he met Jesus one day on the road to Damascus. You see, what we need is to show that those that are infected with the poison of self-righteousness, that we will not partake of that poison, but we will respond with compassion rather than anger whenever it's directed toward us. Be careful of the poison of an unbridled tongue. That person that has lost their filter, if they ever had one. That person that just blurts out whatever comes into their mind and their heart. That, that person that lashes out and then apologizes later, that has no control of their spirit, beware and be merciful to the poisonous. Then thirdly, lastly, consider that we should be merciful to the possessed. 
What do you mean, Pastor? Well, there are many of us that have besetting sins. In fact, I think you could make the argument that we all have besetting sins. And what does that equate to? That means that we become possessed at times by sin. Are you controlled by your sin? Am I controlled by my sin? And I think if we're honest that we would have to say all of us that at times we are. That, that moment that I lose control, make a bad decision, give in to uh, a, a fit of rage or uh, lashing out at someone or caving into some other fleshly desire uh, for a moment and then immediately are convicted and seek restitu- restoration with God. What happened? In that moment, I let sin take control. Be merciful to those who are possessed by their sin. See, in our world, a lot of times what we want is, hey, this, this Christian committed this sin. Uh, okay, you better get them out of the church. How about restoring them? How about being merciful? How about allowing for the fact that perhaps they had a bad day and a weak moment and made a bad decision? Even the Apostle Paul said, the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things that I'm determined uh, to do, I find myself not doing. In other words, the sinful things that I reject, I find myself in moments of weakness doing them. And the things that I should be doing that are good and that are godly and that are serving the Lord, I'm, I'm not doing them. If the Apostle Paul struggled with that, can we really be so proud and arrogant as to say that we don't? Be merciful to those that are having and are caught up in a moment of, uh, of, of self-righteousness and uh, that are possessed by their sin. Be merciful to those that are possessed with self. Some people are just selfish. All of us are selfish by nature. Never has there been, other than Jesus, a child born that wasn't selfish. And all we are is big kids. At heart, we're selfish. We want what we want. We want uh, to be served. We want to be helped. We want everyone to respond uh, and, and to become what's convenient for us rather than allowing ourselves to be inconvenienced for the benefit of others. Don't be possessed, be merciful to those that are possessed by self and be merciful to those that are possessed by spirits. See, pastor, you mean in this day and age in which we live, you think that demons still can possess people? The Bible never told us that they would stop. Why would we think that they have? Go to people that are missionaries that are in the jungles of South America, like Jonathan Hernandez. Go to those that are in places in in the deep and dark Africa and islands across the oceans. And they don't even talk about the things that they have to deal with in the States because most American Christians won't tolerate it or don't think it's real. It's real. It was real when Jesus dealt with it and it's real today. But... Most of the time, the spirits that we struggle with are our own spirit of anger, our own spirit of selfishness, our own spirit of just wanting what we want. Are you overwhelmed tonight or this morning with a spirit of anger, a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of negativity? Are you just always negative? Uh, Nobody's going to join the church. Visitors aren't going to come. I didn't get much out of that this morning. Listen, is my spirit negative? I don't want to have a negative. I don't want to be that negative spirit. I don't want to be that person that quenches the spirit of God when you walk into the room. 
You don't even have to say anything. There are some people when they walk into a room, it just puts a cloud over the whole room. There are other people whenever they walk into a room, it just lights it up. The other people, just the expression, the countenance on their face, the joy of the Lord in their heart just radiates from them and it's unmistakable. Be determined to be that person that's not overcome and overwhelmed with the spirit of negativity. And certainly don't open the door to the devil so that you have to deal with legitimate demonic forces. When you open the door, the Bible says neither give place to the devil. That essentially means open a door. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Don't, uh, we, were, we had to deal with things like this through the years and working in a boy's home and working in a place in the city that we pastored last. It had a large gypsy community where there was a lot of, a lot of Satanism and things uh, that were around us. And one of the things that we've uh, learned over the years is that it's best to just keep the door closed. That we're careful about what we do. When our kids were really small, we were really careful. Even as children, there were a lot of simple things like Snow White or Cinderella or things that we didn't watch because we didn't want. Uh, we had a lot of, of, of that kind of activity and witchcraft and things amongst some of the kids in the homes. And we weren't going to open that door. Yeah. You know, watch stuff like Harry Potter and let your kids learn actual legitimate spells that Satan uses. Be careful and be cautious as Christians to not open the door to the devil and let satanic forces have an entry into your life. Be cautious. Why? Because I want mercy. I don't want to express to God that I am determined to only go this far for you. Because if I do, then God's going to say, if that's what you're determined to be, then... So be it. That's what he did with Pharaoh. That's what he did with others. And again, it's not what he wants. It's, it's our free will. Who am I this morning? Am I truly born again? I hope so. Am I becoming like Christ? Is Jesus transforming me into who he wants to be? Am I merciful? Listen, I start becoming like Christ when I start becoming merciful in spirit. He manifests his love for us in that spirit. Be merciful to the poor. Be merciful to those that are poisonous. Be merciful to those that are possessed. But pastor, you don't understand how wrong they did me. And you've already forgotten, if you're thinking that, that you cannot be merciful until you've been wronged. Jesus says, as clearly as he can, you're going to be offended. You're going to be wronged. You're going to come under attack. The world hates me. And therefore, if you love me, it hates you. How will you respond? I responded with mercy. Will you respond in kind with mercy? Because when we do, we receive it. If we want mercy, the mercy of God upon our lives, then we must allow God to help us be merciful to others. It's not easy. It goes against who and what we are. But what is Jesus if not merciful?